Welcome to the Makom Israel Teachers Lounge podcast, where we connect students and listeners with Israel by discussing and exploring current events and relevant issues. I am your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with co-host Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going good, Mike. All right, that's good. Almost Rosh Hashanah. Almost. And turbulent political times, which always make us happy. And today we have a special guest, which also always makes us happy. Alan, would you introduce our guest who's going to discuss with us the role of Arab Israelis in Israeli politics? Sure, Mike. Um, We're very fortunate today that Dr. Steve Klein, who teaches um, minorities at Ben-Gurion University and and conflict resolution at Tel Aviv University, has joined us. He's also an editor at Haaretz newspaper and a frequent contributor of op-eds to Haaretz and other news outlets. He has a doctorate in conflict management and negotiation from Bar-Ilan University. And not only does he reside in Modin, he is an old friend and colleague of mine. And I could say kind of teacher, you know how you learn from your friends. Um, probably more about, I've learned more about Zionism and Israel and politics from Steve than almost anybody. Um, so I'm very excited that he's uh, slept in from Modine to the, to the holy city to join us today. Thank Thanks, you, Steve. Alan. Thank you. Great to have you. So uh, I guess you chose conflict resolution because if you're going to live in the Middle East, it might be a useful skill to, <laughs> as a field of study. Oh, absolutely. It's and pretty relevant. Also, I learned that the, the more conflict resolution academics there are, the more conflict there is. So there's uh-huh. always plenty of work <laughs> So it just for makes us. its own work. Yeah, exactly. All right, that's a pretty good gig. So uh, w- w- a lot of people who talk, Israelis are talking about how the role that the Arab parties played in this, since the vote last week, since the election last week, the Arabs have played an unusual role for recent years in Israeli politics. So I want to reflect on that, Why? what makes it seem unusual. But first, Alan, could you just give us a summary of what happened over the last week of coalition buildings? What role did the Arab parties play that was somewhat unusual? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, we're not in coalition building yet. Mm-hmm. Um, remember, we, last time we mentioned there are really three stages. There's the voting stage, which we mm-hmm. did last a week ago, Tuesday. We're on Wednesday today. Um, then the second stage is the, the president goes around to the different parties and says, okay, who would you nominate um, that is most likely to form the coalition. Mm-hmm. And then there's, and then that gets into the coalition. So we're in that in-between stage, that mm-hmm. second stage, where the president is meeting with the different parties. And of course, he meets with them in uh, descending order of the, the, great, the biggest party to the smallest parties that made it in. Um, the biggest party, of course, was uh, blue and white with 33 seats. And it turned out today, we just found out, Likud is 32 seats. So those of you who thought they had 31 seats, they actually had 32 seats because mm-hmm. we said this is a long process. It takes time. And the third largest party were the joint Arab list, which is four different Arab parties together. And they got 13 seats, which is going back to the 2015 uh, elections, which is what they had when they joined together. And so that makes them a, a, a formative block in the in the Knesset. Can I enter for a side point? Will, yeah. You can watch at least the official discussion between the president and the party leaders. It's live on the air. And and, and I realize that you, all you're seeing is the part that they're willing to show you live on the air, so that it's a little bit of democratic drama. But it's very, I found very moving. Democrat, Even if it's they know the cameras are on them, so I'm sure they talk differently when the cameras are off. But even so, just to have the leaders of the parties talk to the president on camera in front of the citizens, I don't know. I feel like that's very, you know, it's not exactly the room where it happens exactly, but it. it but there's something to it. It's like beautiful. It's, it reflects to it. an idea of transparency, yeah. um, for sure. And so. Basically, what happened is uh, President Rivlin, who's going around trying to find out who should be, 
who who the different parties who want to recommend. recommend. And in, in that way, if there's a clear recommendation of 61 um, Knesset members, then that person gets to then go on to the negotiations of forming it. Um, as we talked about last time, there is no clear in that state today. But what we'd like to use this time, as Mike had mentioned, is to kind of focus in on the this joint Arab list and the uh, Arab citizens of Israel, um, because they uh, this time they recommended um, Benny Gantz, who's the head of the Bloom White Party. Most of them, uh, ten, most, of, ten, ten of them. Sorry, most of them. Yeah. Right, ten of thirteen. Not Good, thanks line. for correction. Exactly. We'll get into why mm-hmm. the three didn't, but. But that um, that is significant because that hasn't happened in uh, quite a while. 1992. Uh, all right, since 1992, um, when that, we're talking about Oslo, that a their parties recommended a. Uh, uh, what do they a normally do? Prime Minister usually uh, recommend no one. Yeah, mm-hmm. they recommend no one, which actually this this time was Lieberman of the um, <laughs> Israel Beitenu party recommended no one because um, it should be a joint unity yeah. government. He says, yeah. but let's stick to the Arabs. But uh, so so they're playing a much more active role. The Arab parties not only have a bigger chunk than they've had in the past well four or five years, but they're playing a more active role in the coalition decision making of how to build the coalition than they usually play. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. and that's what people are taking note of, which led to all sorts of interesting situations like. Uh, 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 Haredi ministers of Knesset speaking in Arabic and Arab MKs answering in Yiddish <laughs> and Arab MKs uh, posting on social media quotes from Tehillim and you know talking about we're not saying Gantz is Mordechai but we think Netanyahu is Haman like all these interesting <laughs> formulations that you're seeing on well I saw them on Twitter but but uh, you know the, the, it's this weird sort of bubbled up moment where uh, Arabs who are a minority, about twenty percent of the Israeli population, uh, not quite two million Arab Israeli citizens, right. something like that, mm-hmm. and they often go as minorities often do, overlooked and you know under thought about. That's that's a term. And here we're all suddenly sitting up and taking notice, like, oh, this is a major demographic. Right. Is that is that is that a fair assessment of where we are historically here at this moment? Well, there is is definitely a change going on in the Arab community that was revealed also in a in a poll that showed that over three quarters of Israeli Arabs supported an Arab party joining the government, mm-hmm. which for a long time the attitude has been that they should stay out of government because to be part of government is to is to confer legitimacy upon Zionist hegemony hegemony over Israel. So you're saying that not only do uh, political Jewish political parties in the Knesset or mostly Jewish political parties in the Knesset not invite Arab parties traditionally into the coalition for the recent past, but that Arab parties themselves would would disappoint their constituents. This is difficult to Western ears, right? They, they're going to disappoint their constituents if they join the government and take executive power because that grants legitimacy to the Zionist entity, whereas sitting in the Zionist parliament to represent them in issues doesn't. Correct. Correct. So, for example, you could look at, say, 2006, uh, neither, uh, I mean, or 2008 when Livni was trying to cobble together coalition, she wasn't going to consider the Arabs and the Arabs weren't going to consider them. So she was stuck with Shas and it all fell apart. I mean, not to get too deep into the political yeah. science mud, but is there that big a difference of conferring, conferring legitimacy if you are... In other words, if I'm if I'm really so Sotmer that I won't be part of 
uh, uh, UTJ that I want yeah. to participate in the functioning state of Israel. I think that the Haredi parties have a different. They've already conferred a, a, a degree of legitimacy by saying we'll serve in the legislature. Right. E- even well, though, like UTJ won't take a ministry, won't head a ministry. The only yeah, exactly, exactly. I think they're taking the UTJ. It's a little peel pull. It's a, it's a little. It's a little Jewish. Yeah, it's a little it? Jewish to say okay. It's kind of rabbinic. We are exercising our democratic right. That does not mean we we recognize the right of of the Zionist parties to rule and or this to be a, a, a Jewish state. But we will take our, our place in this democracy as we, as we will exercise that part of our right. But we won't take the extra step like UTJ would also not the executive that, of actually that joining the executive. Well, they're taking exactly. a little bit less of a... So there, yes. it, it's, a, it's kind of a hair-splitting point where... They're 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 functionally in, but they're not endorsing, sort of. Yes, but in but a very important principle. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a line in the sand that we see. For example, the Balad party refuses to cross, which mm-hmm. is why only ten out of thirteen are supporting Gantz, and that has consequences. Well, I mean, maybe now it's even changed, but it, you know, it, it was giving. Fifty-seven, fifty-five, and that's fifty-five, fifty-four. I guess now maybe fifty-six, fifty-four. No, I don't think so, either yeah. one past sixty-one. Yeah. So yeah, no one gets still, past sixty-one. Still yes, without still, Lieberman, yeah. no one gets past sixty. Right, right, yeah. So, so this, this, but well, it does. I mean, there I did see an interesting article that it takes getting into the weeds, but it, it took a, a seat away from the UTJ, the the Ashkenazi Haredim. So the Haredi block is down to sixteen, mm. which means that affects the blue and white if they want to make a coalition with the Haredim. Right, because that, that could affect their that numbers. Is correct. Right? That is correct. So that's yes. the, that's where it comes in. So right? part of the part of the, the the four Arab parties ran as one joint list. Yes, one of them still won't recommend who should be prime minister because, on principle, that would be acknowledging the right for a Zionist party to rule in the state of Israel. Yeah, not only that though, but also. I think retroactively legitimizing some of their policies, mm-hmm. for example, the nation state law. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, but Gantz yes. isn't that party, right? So you you know, Balad could say, Correct. "Look, I work." Gantz is running on the platform that he wants to change the language of the nation state law, but I can't recommend it because even recommending somebody who didn't create it and and just entered politics, but I still, on principle, can't correct recommend it. Correct, and it it's a it, it is problematic because the idea of the joint list was that we would be we would work as one block. Right. So, for example, Hadash, um, one of their MKs, she came out and she publicly stated that she's against endorsing Gantz, but because she's part of the joint list and the majority voted right. to endorse him, so she's going along with it for the, in the, in the name of solidarity. It's super yes. complicated. And even though yeah. 75% of their constituency wants them to even join the coalition, not even... Correct. It's not even about Correct. who you're going to recommend. You're also hearing it. To a certain ministers are beginning to... I mean, didn't Ahmed Tibi say that he we should consider... Yeah. Ayman Ode, yeah. Ayman Ode, yeah. the head Ayman of the is, the, is, yeah, he's the main one who's doing this, and Ayman Ode represents the new generation. If you look, he just had an, an opinion piece that was on the front page of the International New York Times, where not only did he say, you know, we intend to influence government to oust Netanyahu in favor of Gantz, but when he laid out his demands, they were very different. Historically, the Arab parties, and when I say historically, there were no truly Arab parties before 1988. Um, and then the, the, there was the Palestinization, you could say, of the Hadash party, which had been a mixed party, and, it be, and it's 
now prime. I mean, it still has a Jewish element. Well, there were parties, so but they that. weren't. Uh, they weren't necessarily organized right. on principle. Yes, was, yeah, but the, you have other parties, party. though, but like Ta'al and Ra'am and Balad are Arab-only parties. And if you that look are, at that, the are platforms, united over an agreed-upon set of political principles, just for this election. But uh-huh. they were they formed a separate parties because they have their own disputes. Because each one has their own. Yeah, thing. you know, because just there there like is a political right. party. Exactly. No, no. Because exactly. when you say there weren't yes. Arab parties, there were Arab parties. No, what I'm saying is that not in the traditional that, political. Sense. Yeah, what I'm saying is that historically, before 1977, from 49 to 77, all the Arab parties that were all Arab parties were essentially labor-affiliated lists. So they weren't real parties because they would just automatically go to labor. They didn't make very strong demands. There, there, you know, it was given that they were. They had an articulated a set of independent political Correct. principles that they were fighting. Correct, for. and that only started in 1988 when the first Arab MK got in as on an Arab party, and it was Darasha who basically had been part of Marach, which was you know labor party, and he broke away over the Intifada, and that pushed him to form his own party, and then in '92 you had the five. Arab MKs, and they supported Rabin. But after 1992, especially since the, the since the Second Intifada, the consistent demand over the previous 15 years of the Arab parties was always, number one, the peace process, ending the occupation. And there's research that shows that the Arab parties have been more radical than their constituents. The constituents are more interested in bread and butter issues, socioeconomic issues. And that's what Ayman Oda is bringing to the table now. His number one demand is improving security in Arab towns, Arab municipalities, because the police, the Israeli police, are failing them, and that's why there's all these deaths. Just this past week, there have been six Arabs killed in Arab municipalities in inter-Arab violence. So that's their number one demand. In, in, in crime, in, in, yeah. in schools. In feuds. Yeah. In feuds. Yeah, By they the want way, that, in, in, yes. in, in, in garbage, uh, in, in resource, in garbage pickup, in resources yeah. that they feel that they're not sufficiently cared for on the grid. Yeah, he wants that. Uh, one of his one of his points is pensions, raising pensions so that older people can live in dignity. That's in not, other words, why should if I'm really Israeli and I'm really Israeli, why should I be treated differently than any other Israeli? Which is different than that principled stand you were saying earlier of that hair splitting of, okay, I realize I live in this state, so I'll function in it, but I'm not really Israeli. Exactly. So he's got half a dozen socioeconomic demands before he gets to the demand about the peace process. That's a significant change. Which again, I think represents that that uh, maybe Steve paradigm be, shift. Uh, paradigm shift. Yeah, yeah. It's a paradigm oh, shift. Oh, it is a paradigm shift, and he represents it, and and he's going against the grain. But I think that there's a growing realization that Ayman Oda represents does a bre- lot more of the Arab public than say. And Bala does it break does. That down by age? You're saying it's the younger. It's upcoming. the younger generation. Yeah, they yeah, grew up Israeli. Think, absolutely, yeah. and and that I mean, and that has been a series of generational changes because the first generation of Arab MKs were basically these older Mukhtars who were collaborating, you could say, with the with the Labour Party to look out for minor interests for their parties and not worrying about the larger. Sh- Picture, and then after '67, with the rise of of Rakach and then Hadash, you had this growing trend of Arabs voting uh, for anti-Zionist parties, um, and that was the next generation. They were rebelling against their parents, 
but they didn't get anywhere, right? They're, they have very little to show. Mm-hmm. There's no major legislation that you can point at, no real progress. You know, maybe they exposed uh, Israeli behavior in Palestinian jails, in jails with Palestinians, but very minor. And so this generation is saying, no, we need to move on from that. It's not enough to just reject Israel as a Jewish state. We have to start affecting socioeconomic change to improve our community. Our Israeli neighborhoods. Right. Right. Yes. Uh, I, I was, so do you want to move on to what, how it looks from the other side, from the Jewish side? Okay. Uh, that's what I, because uh, I like. I'm not sure what the, what Meaning do you mean? like, so we're saying, okay, so now I'm an Oda made out all these, you know, um, we're willing to join potentially and these are demands. And he's so, representing a new growing demographic. He's not saying per se, I'm, I'm willing to join the coalition. Yeah, yeah. He's saying, I'm willing to endorse Gantz because I want to give Gantz a chance because the main issue here is getting rid of Netanyahu. And so just for endorsing Gantz, he may, they may get some of these things, even without joining the coalition. A, but B, he's also not, he's also not saying uh, absolutely he's not going to join the coalition either. That it was, I mean, I remember there was an interview with him in Yedil Tachonot a few weeks ago where he said he's he up consi- for negotiation. He's, he's less interested in the hair splitting of the previous generation. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I I don't think he would be opposed to that. At um, least negotiating. Yeah, negotiating. I but, mean, but, I don't I don't see there's any real path to that. But and you, I, when you say the Jewish you, side, you no, mean how the, yeah. is there a problematic? How aspect? are Jews looking at it? Right. How is Gantz looking at it? How is Prime Minister Netanyahu? How are listen? It would Israelis, be very nice if we could say you know, the guys and the guys in the room. Yeah, right? these guys are hair splitting, but we don't hair split. Or traditionally, have Jews also hair split about the roles of Arabs? Arab Arabs in in the Knesset and in the government, do do Jews also do similar hair splitting? Well, I mean, I think traditionally, yes. If I understand your question, that they have definitely drawn a line to say it is not legitimate, um, as as we discussed earlier, already back in 1951 when there were when the labor. Uh, or the Mapai at the time, which is the forerunner of the Labor Party, they had a coalition of 65, which included five Arabs. Uh, the Khairut Party, which was the forerunner of the Likud Party, the party of Begin and the, the party of Jabotinsky, they deemed that illegitimate. They did not, they, did, they said Arabs have the right to participate in government, but Jews do not have the right to to have their government rely on Arab votes. So there's been a block in Israeli politics that there are Jews who agree with that Arab hair-splitting principle of you can participate, you should be in the legislature, you're involved, you're you're a citizen, and therefore you need to be represented. But there are aspects to governing a Jewish state that you really need to be Jewish to to have a valid to, to for us to take your uh, opinion into account. I mean that Correct. that came out sharply during the Oslo. Uh, years, no, um, absolutely, you know, absolutely that 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 they felt that because this affects the fate of the Jewish state, it is not right or legitimate to have five um, Arab MKs voting for this for this, you know, for for the legislation that would forward the Oslo peace process, right? Which in fact it relied on that. It wasn't just they were voting for it; it was relied on. It would not have passed without the Arab votes. Uh, well, technically, technically, because they had the coalition with Shas, right. So that was that. What happened was that in '92, because there were the five Arab MKs along with the 44 from Labor and 12 from Merits, meant that there was a blocking majority. There was no path for the right to get to 61. Right. And what happened was is that then Rabin negotiated with Shas 
to convince them to join the coalition. So there were actually a coalition of 62 without the Arabs. Right. What was kind of ironic, I think, is that back then, I don't think it occurred to anyone you could have a second election. It was just assumed, we have to make this work. Right. Or else Shas could have held out and Well, it's still like not Lieberman. the system. That was but, a yeah. parliamentary trick to bring us right. to second elections. Well, the system right. should have, we should have still worked on coalition forming. Yeah, yeah, they should have. But the thing is, though, is that, right. Is In that, Israeli is, Hebrew, that was a patent. That, yes, that, absolutely, that absolutely. Because once BB failed, the expectation was that Gantz would get a, right. a crack at forming government. And he wanted government, to short circuit that. But he called the snap elections, correct? Well, let me so, see so, if I can formulate yeah. this, not as a Jewish Arab, but... Yeah. If Israel is the Zionist state that that believes that the Jews are a nation and deserve a state, if you are in a citizen in this country who doesn't believe in that, whether you're an Arab or a Haredi, or you are a part, you are representing a part of the population that doesn't believe, let's say, in democracy, that says really we shouldn't be going by democratic principles and all people aren't equal, women are inferior, Arabs are inferior, whatever that that is deeply problematic for them to, that those opinions that don't believe in the Jewish and or democratic nature of the state, you can't not involve them in the government, in, in Knesset because they're citizens, but it's a very problematic ride to figure out how to govern with people who don't believe in the founding principles of the country. I agree with that, but I still think it's, it's very problematic to, to reject them yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not advocating. Yeah. I'm just yeah. formulating the problem. It's not an Arab problem per se. Israel faces a very interesting, a very unique set of problems. Not everybody in the Knesset believes in what. At least you, you wouldn't expect to find this in other in other countries and other governments that people don't believe in the founding document of the country. In other words, the claims of the Declaration of Independence, which claim this is a Jewish nation state that is committed to the principles of democracy and the United Nations principles of human rights, you would expect that the people serving in our government and in our in, in our Knesset adhere to those principles. That's not the right. case. Well, you, I mean, there are examples here and there of it in ethnically divided societies. For example, you take Sri Lanka, right? That the Tamils, the Tamil... National Party rejects the the constitutional principles that Sri Lanka is inherently a well, Sinhalese country. Well, that's always gone so well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you know, so that's that's not unique. And then other countries will avoid it, like in Belgium, because of the 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 balance between the the the, the Walloons and the uh, Wallonians and the Flemish, right? That they that the Flemish won't insist to say this is a Flemish country. Deal with it because they know that that would be problematic. So You're saying I think like, that yeah. like something like Quebec, which doesn't necessarily believe in the concept of Canada but functions in it, is is a similar. I can't speak for Canadian history uh, so well, but I do think that what the Arabs might, I would imagine that they might say is that you know it is problematic that Israel was founded on the principles of being a Jewish state. And what they would point out is that Israel is the only country in the United Nations that was where the, the, the mandate was given to the minority of the country. Every other, every other country where there was a mandate given or there was decolonization, power was always handed over to the majority. And so, so there's, a, a, you know, there's, there's a unique problem that, that, in that sense that Israel faces. And that leads to this dilemma that if you want a democracy, so what does that mean for Israel to be a, a democracy? Well, and do, do, um, do parties have the right 
to reject the Jewish aspect to say, we want a democratic state, but a democratic state that does not emphasize the Jewish aspect of the country. Or acknowledge it, yes. or find it so problematic that they don't want to serve in a coalition. Yeah. Well, I'm saying is that's a similar problem to other parties that say, we do think it's Jewish, but we want to sit on the Knesset and we don't think it should be a democracy. We want an equal vote as a representative government. We just don't believe in the principles of democracy, human rights, freedom, or representative government. Well, who's saying that, though? Well, I would argue that Otsma was pretty much saying that. That's true. That's true. Now, they and, didn't pass the threshold, but they were running. Yes. What we would like to, I do yes. would like to point out, we, we did look on their, uh, on their what's it called, their party uh, the platform? platform that says they do believe in a democratic They state. say they believe they in democracy. So they say they believe in democracy. Democ Whatever democracy they believe in allows for giving different legal status based right. on ethnicity. Right. So that if you're a Jew, you're a certain kind of citizen. And if you're an Arab, you're a different kind of citizen. Different rules and laws apply to you, which is not I, well, I don't the 21st well, century. I think, I think there, it comes down to an issue of trust, because I think a lot of these parties, I think Koch was- By the way, they the also only, say pretty yes. explicitly in their platform yes. that Israel is a Jewish state, should follow Jewish law. Smotrich says explicitly, and Smotrich's not in Otsma. Smotrich says explicitly- No, the platform didn't say that in Otsma. We looked at it. It did. it did. It said, we are a Jewish state, and we should go back to following the Jewish laws as they were formulated. Yeah. I, I, it's I hard know. to know but what even people- even so, had. though, there's nothing disqualifying about that. Like You have to be racist like Koch to be disqualified. Right, they weren't there disqualified by that. Right, there they wasn't weren't disqualified. The no, they were not. Kof. Osma was not dis Kof Kof was. Right, yeah, Kof Kof was, right. Yeah. Osma was, and, and right, I don't know what the tremendous difference is between them. It's right, pretty but it's a, it's enough of a difference. And, right. and, I guess. and on the Arab side, you can see that there was in the in the 60s there was the the first attempt of having an Arab party called Al Ard, like the earth, the you know the land. Um, they were disqualified by the by the election commission, and the Supreme Court held it up because they said they are rejecting. You know, uh, Israel as being a Jewish and democratic state. Whereas today, we've had part Arab parties that were rejected by the election commission, but the Supreme Court has has held up their right, affirmed their right to run like, to say it is legitimate to say we want more, de you know, more democracy and less Jewish. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm yeah. not. Say no, but that's interesting. That's yeah. interesting. Maybe like if well, first of all, on, the, on the Arab side, it's interesting that they're drawing the line there. Like, oh, someone who's who's arguing for more democracy and less Jewish is a is a legitimate. Well, in the last round, uh, in the previous legitimate round, for Supreme Court, yeah. not for in the, in the April <laughs> yeah, round, the parties. Supreme Court said those that deny the Jewish nature of the state can run, but to run for a minister, if you deny the democratic nature, you can't run. And they excluded certain people from the far fringe right, Correct. right. from running. And they didn't explain the Supreme Court how they exact. Uh, well, maybe they explained it. I don't get. <laughs> yes. The basis the of briefs. how they made that decision. <laughs> yeah. I did not read the briefs. I just read the news articles right. about the briefs, and I don't know that much about yeah. these, these, yeah. these things. But you would think, as a citizen, I should have a basic understanding of one or the other. I'm not sure. I mean, I look as an American Ola, I find it weird disqualifying people to run based on an ideology that's problematic. On the other hand, I'm just saying I see the problem of if you don't believe in the principle this nation is founded of, and you're asking for a leadership role. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable on either side if you're denying the democracy or the Jewish. Yeah, for sure. And, for sure. and it's at least problematic. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it, 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 it makes things complicated, but I think also there are complexities in Arab society that has to be recognized as well, that it is more diverse than people give credit to because you have a whole sector, for example, the Druze who are all drafted into the into the army, and that's 130, they, 140, Would they describe themselves as Arabs, the Jews? Well, that's the thing is that Druze, um, 
they describe themselves pretty much as Israelis. There are Druze who Jews. think of themselves Israeli as Arab, Druze. Or Druze or yeah, or you know, or they they speak Arabic. But traditionally, they've been part of those parties in, mm-hmm. in these labor affiliated parties. There were Druze there, but the Druze have have departed there. But at the same time, the Druze we see uh, they tend to vote very centrist these days. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the major um, Druze. Um, communities, both like say compared between 2015 and 2019, you find uh, in 2015 the biggest vote getter was Kulanu. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2019, it's Kachol Levan. Mm-hmm. And then after that, uh, you know, Lieberman gets a lot of votes from the Druze. Mm-hmm. But the thing that's is, though, funny, is that, because that's not center at all. I mean, that's... No, that's not center. That's, that's center right, center left, yeah, bouncing center right, center, and then really secular right wing. Yeah, and and I mean, I, I remember many years ago, uh, I, I have... Um, uh, my family is actually from Roshpina. Uh, my grandfather was born there in the 19th century, and we have some olive oil land, and we had a Druze family taking care of it. And I was visiting, um, I was visiting uh, the Druze family, and I was talking to the mother, and this was back in 2009. And I said, uh, "So, who do you uh, who are you going to vote for?" And she said, "Lieberman." <laughs> and I jumped off my chair and I said, why? And she says, well, because he'll deal harshly with the Arabs. Uh, the Arabs, right. The Arabs, right, because yes. she's thinking that. So she has a separate identity. So no, even though they're Arab, they're not Jewish, because they're voting for Zionist Party. But so they feel as other in the yeah. Arab world yeah. to a certain extent. Yeah. Or, what other Democrats? Yes. Or in contrast, or he, another one is that it's not so much anymore, but there were a couple elections where Shas was getting a full seat's worth of votes from Arabs because... Muslim conservative Muslims sought in their interest to support Shas. Uh, no one said, "Oh, Shas, if that would give the right-wing coalition 61 seats, that's not legitimate because one of the Shas seats is right. from an Arab, right?" Or that you know one of the Druze. Nobody de- one of the, delegitimizes the Arab votes for a Jewish MK. Exactly, they only delegitimize an Arab, Arab votes for an Arab MK. Besides the fact that don't forget that one of the joint list seats comes from Jews, right? The Jews mm-hmm. gave. Uh, in this election, I think uh, around one seat's worth. Of, Was it a seat? A yeah, full seat? Wow. yeah, so, yeah. Or it could, might have been close to it, but yeah. Can you uh, can you just say something about the Bedouin and how they're a little bit different? Yeah, I just want to hear. I know we don't have a lot of time, but I want to yeah. hear about the other demographics like yeah. the Bedouin. Yeah, the Bedouin is that, that that's a difficult one. I mean, this I, should I, be a they, whole episode. Yeah, really, that's a where... whole separate episode. I would just say uh, on one leg that the Bedouin have been Palestinized a lot because of the way they've been treated with the unrecognized village issue, and they've progressively voted more and more for Arab parties and less and less for the Zionist parties. Um, in even, general, even though the, they yes. serve a lot in the army, also. Well, no, but see, that's also it's it's a, that's a little bit of a myth now because uh-huh. uh, it, the ones who serve are the the fifty thousand who were up north. Uh-huh. There, it's about ten percent, but the ones down south, it's less than one percent serve right. these days. It's do not, they vote? Not cool. they, do they? Pr- they vote. Well, that was an interesting thing that I was experience I had was that was that the that you know that that the Bedouins a lot of them are in these they ha- they have to be bused to the mm-hmm. to the polls because if you live in an unrecognized village there's no there's no poll. there's no polling station you have to go to where your official residence is according to the Interior Ministry so they need buses for that mm-hmm. and so they were they were brought in buses that's part of you know the oh, they're, busing, uh, they're yeah. busing them in and to scaring the... them um, and then in, and then uh, before this election Likud appealed against the the organization that was planning to bus in the Bedouins and they won in court. Melter uh, sided with the Likud party. So suddenly they couldn't do it. So then there was like, well, what's going to happen? So I personally, you know, full disclosure, I called up and I called around and, and I and I reached a couple organizations that were helping. And I said, can I drive down personally and 
and just drive people to the to the polls. They said your services are not needed. They said so many people came uh-huh. and uh, that they did it. Now it was the men. It was only men drive men and women drive women. Uh-huh. They didn't have enough women drivers, but they had more than enough. And they said that they have all these people who are just sitting around doing nothing. What they did say to me though, from two different people was that it was very heartwarming for them to see the, uh-huh. the, the, the turnout of support from the Jewish. And so in a way, a good thing came out of a bad thing. That it looked right. bad that they were not allowed to have the buses, but the support they got from the Jew, Jewish communities around them just did wonders for them. Well, to put that into know. a broader context, I think Likud has learned that they are, that they're trying to play on resentment of Arabs. They're trying, to, and which you sort of see this global sense of leadership trying to build on this the sense of otherness within society and build it to get power. Here, Likud tried to build on the Jewish sense of Arabs not being citizens. It didn't work on Arabs whose whose voting turnout went up, and it didn't work on Jews for the for or many many Jews who really resented it and actively took part. So here in Israel, interestingly, uh, it's nice to see sometimes that it doesn't doesn't always not work. Sometimes that sort of division politics works here, but it's nice to see that sometimes it fails. Yeah, and I think this election was a very good. Example of democracy in action. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing for sure. Like it just, it just feels like the system is holding and is is keeping things the way. And by so, the way, till the next vote in three months. <laughs> okay, fine. But the Israeli people spoke and said that we don't stand for that. We really believe we. There is a core who believes in the Jewish and democratic nature of the state, and we will fight for it. And sometimes that expresses itself as Jews driving Arabs to the polls. And I think if you take it back to the Arab community, there is now a real debate going on. So they're wrestling with this for the first time in in 25 years about what is our relationship to the state? What should we be demanding and how do we how do we accomplish those goals? Cuz until now there are very few accomplishments. Ahmed Tibi was the first Arab MK who was able to initiate legislation that got passed by the Knesset. And that was wow. only 2012. Mm-hmm. It had wow. to do with the compensation if your flight, you know, if you book a flight through a travel agent and then it gets delayed several hours, you're entitled to to uh, to compensation. So if you know, if Netanyahu ever becomes a private citizen and his flight gets delayed, he can thank Ahmed TV for the <laughs> money right. he gets. No, but it's uh, but it's, Sarah will but be it, very happy and it's part money. of this process in the Arab world of feeling more Israeli feeling more like you're, I'm an Israeli Arab, which is different somewhat. And they may say, some Arab Israelis say they're Palestinian, some don't. Yeah, it's, it's, still, a, it's still a very, yeah, it's complex. because it, it's, it's, it's very serious, but I think that this election, particularly because of all the goading from the Likud party and on the right, it really made them think, okay, can we be Palestinian? Can we have a Palestinian identity and still participate in the electoral process and maintain our, our dignity? You know, because I think that's at the end of the day, that's what you want to do is you, may, you want to keep your dignity intact. And do I keep my dignity intact? If you look at uh, just to take a, a, a you know, a, a parallel from a different universe, almost Martin Luther King spoke about how his father taught him. He says, when you get on the bus, you get on in the back, but your mind is always at the front, which means you keep your dignity and you don't accept the system just because you are you look like you're cooperating doesn't mean that you accept it. And I think that's where the Arabs are at. Is that I can keep a Palestinian identity, I can vote for the Knesset, and I can even support a Zionist prime minister. It doesn't mean that I have accepted all the principles of the Jewish state that I find you know, offensive or problematic that, that, that negatively impact my life. 
Well, well, okay. Well, that was enlightening yeah. and helpful to us. Yeah. I, I, I'm sure it will be to the li- listeners as well. Thanks so much, Steve. I, really, I think we want to do uh, a little pitch for Steve's class at the Hoover University. Um, this this winter break at the Rothberg School, Steve is uh, teaching a special class, um, a mini semester. I'll let him tell you what it's. Yes, do exactly. That. It's a it's a it's it's called their winter semester. It's a two week course, and it's an intensive course on the minorities in Israel which means that we'll be uh, sitting in class and, and learning about all the different groups, but then also making field trips to, to go visit these communities, be they the Druze, the Circassians. It's all in English. The whole thing is in English. And anyone from around the world is can go to the Hebrew U, to the overseas website or the Rothberg School um, and you know, and and uh, and can sign up for the course. Uh, you have to come over here, and that's basically what you do. But you get you get a, a you get a college credit How much for credit taking the course. How many hours? I, I don't yeah. know, but it's okay. it's equivalent of one college right. class at a, And at do a you anticipate American that you'll have different demographics represented in the class as you often find in your class? Oh, for sure, for sure. Which oh, yeah. In and of mean, itself, is so yes, interesting. Which yeah. is also something. Yeah, I mean, at Ben Gurion, that's the way yeah. my my minorities class is. It's a very diverse class from several different countries and you know different religions. I've even had a, a, a half Drew student um, take my course. Yeah. Had one who was uh, who, who had Circassian roots. Wow. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Well, right. thank you Maybe so much. Maybe we should sign up. Yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. pretty tempted. Uh, thank you so much. <laughs> thank Thanks, you, Thanks, Alan. Thank you. And thank you, Ben, for engineering us to the end of the episode. Thank you. Which this is. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Macomb Israel Teacher's Lounge podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, rate, and review. Join us next time. Bye.